All right, testing. I got this thing on right, I guess. I want to start uh, today by uh, thanking you for being in God's house. I know God is glad that you're in his house. You know, sometimes we find that, uh, you know, when the pastor's away, the mice will play. Sometimes people find an excuse not to be in, uh, in church when the pastor's gone. You know, Pastor Al, he had asked me to uh, fill in for him today, and I was kind of taken back uh, that uh, he asked me to do that. A um, little nervous, a little scared, however you want to say it, because it's a, it's a pretty tremendous responsibility to stand up here in front of a congregation and talk about God's Word. And I'm going to say talk about God's Word today. And the reason why is because I'm not a pastor, but I am a believer, and I love, I love the Lord with all of my heart. And I hope that you do. So while I'm not preaching, I am speaking. And I think what I'm going to do, one of the things is I'm going to rely real heavy on, on today with some extra scripture added in, because you know what? It's kind of hard to mess things up if you're throwing in scripture, right? So we're going to use a, 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 lot, of, a lot of scripture today. Uh, I've preached a few times before. Uh, it was interesting. You all know I've done uh, missionary work. And the first time I actually preached the Word of God was in a Haitian church. So there were some extra challenges, but I figured if I was going to mess up, maybe I was better off doing it in another country or something like that, or I could blame it on the interpreter maybe. Uh, but the bottom line is, is God's Word is right no matter where it's at, if it's here or if it's in Haiti or someplace else. If you trust in this book and you trust in him, uh, you got the foundation that you need. Um, I put my phone, actually, Nancy's operating my phone. I hate those darn things. They get you in trouble all the time, don't they? Uh, everybody, you, you've got your phones off, right? Or are they on vibrate? Unless you're expecting God's going to make that phone call, right? You see a picture of Jesus on your phone? You know, it's funny how much they get us in trouble. I had a friend of mine. Uh, his wife was going shopping, and she uh, she sent him one of those uh, snap photos of her in a new outfit she was trying on, and she asked the question, does this make me look fat? Well, he was using a new phone for him, and he liked doing uh, uh, speaking in it. And it's got that autocorrect feature that'll get you in trouble every time. He said, no! It said, moo. Well, that's about the extent of my jokes. But I had a pastor tell me one time, if you're going to start, you're always supposed to start off getting them laugh. Um, you know, we had a wonderful time at Thanksgiving here. We had a meal here, and I was talking to a couple of ladies afterwards, and we were talking about preaching and pastors and how they'd done things. And one of, them was, one of the ladies was telling me about uh, a pastor. He was using like eight books, quoting this author and that author and this, that, and the other, and kind of talking about me uh, uh, preaching or speaking today, and I, I jumped right in there, and I said, well, I'm only using two books. And she started to say she thought she had the answer. It was going to be the Old Testament and New Testament. I told her, no, although we are using new and old today, uh, uh, for some of us, uh, uh, I'm changing on the pastor. I didn't ask for permission, but we're switching over today. We're using the King James and the New King James. <laughs> so for some of us that like that, I think... Uh, uh, Gary, uh, he's down there watching the door for us, uh, taking over uh, uh, Bill's spot. But we're going to be uh, using the King James today. I hope you don't mind. I learned on that, and sometimes it works a little bit better for me. 
Uh, although sometimes it can be a little bit more challenging than these and thous and things like that. Uh, we're going to start off with, and we're going to be looking out of the book of Luke. And if you look at Luke, one of the main points of Luke is that he tries to share is that Jesus has come to save everybody. And I find that rather interesting. You know, in the New Testament, there's about 46 parables. And I say about because there's an argument. If you start looking it up, you know, some people say there's 46. Actually, I saw something that said there was 41, but then turned around and quoted that 43 references. So no one agrees. And it's interesting. We have a Bible, we got the Word of God, and, and, and we mess it up already. We can't even agree on what's in there. Um, but in Luke, it actually does contain the largest number of parables. There's 24. 18 of those are considered unique in some way or another. And I heard a sermon one time, and the pastor had described it as a minor parable. And I'm thinking to myself, what's a minor parable? It must be less important, right? You know, you got major parables and minors. I'm thinking, well, maybe that's less important. Then I learn, well, no, it's just the simple fact that a minor parable is just a little shorter. So if it's shorter or it's minor, does that mean it's less important? Well, no. A lot of times you can say a whole lot. It's like a picture's worth a thousand words, right? Sometimes it doesn't take a whole lot of words to get a point, you know, to get a point or something extremely uh, important across. A parable, you know, it comes from the Greek word meaning lay beside or place alongside. And in parables, Jesus is placing a story or an idea that is just, it's simply alongside an idea that is complex or hidden to make it more understandable. And it's, it's that simple. Or is it? I mean, the disciples, they asked Jesus why he spoke in parables. I mean, I've asked Jesus why he spoke, you know, speaks in parables. I'm sure some of you have. Sometimes they can be easy, sometimes they can be difficult. But he answered the disciples in Matthew 13, and he said, you know, he answered unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given, because they seeing see not, and hearing hear not, neither do they understand. Well, that can get a little complicated if you think about it. But it really comes down to this. They saw, and it's because they, there's a new light being shined upon that. They don't see because they close their eyes. They hear because there's a new explanation, because Jesus is providing an explanation. But some don't hear because they just didn't take it in. If they believed in Jesus and were interested in the truth of his teachings, they'd be able to understand. And it's a blessing for those who want truth. And with understanding of truth comes more truth and then more blessings. Ears for the truth will allow God's word to bear fruit in just so many different ways. And it's tremendous. The parables are just, you know, simple stories to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. And the one I want to share or talk with you about today is the unprofitable servant, if you hadn't guessed already. And that's in Luke 
chapter 17, verses 7 through 10. If you turn to that with me, that's Luke 17, verses 7 through 10. And in my Bible, I'm sure most of yours, it's interesting. When we see that, we actually see that the words are in red. It's kind of signifying that these are actually Jesus' words. So we're going to do something a little bit different that we normally don't do. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand with me in reference for the reverence of reading of his word. Luke 17, verse 7. But which of you, having a servant, plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, will say by and by, when he come in from the field, go and sit down to meet? And will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterwards thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank the servant, because he did the things that were commanded him? I throw not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Please be seated. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for the blessings that you provide. We thank you for the word that you provided to guide us that we might grow closer to you. I pray that you send your spirit to join us today, that my words are your words and your words my words, that you meld them together and that by the words and the things that I, you've put on my heart and that I share, I pray that it will just touch our hearts in ways that only you know will happen. In Jesus Christ's precious and holy name I do pray. Amen. If we look at a few verses before, it's in uh, the first uh, six verses uh, of Luke, before we get to the parable, Jesus is really, he's setting up the disciples. We may take the power of faith for granted when we start doing God's work. It's easy to take that for granted. And what happens is, and often I've been guilty of this, is we get angry at the persecution or offenses that take place against us and how we react. Jesus really, he is warning the disciples of the pitfalls of this, of the attacks that are going to come onto his teachings and to the people that follow him. If you really think about that, we see that a lot in today's world already, don't we? Anything that we do, can't have a Bible in school, uh, with different faiths that are going on. Uh, you, can, you can talk about Islam, but if you talk about Christianity, there's attacks. There's just so many things. And we as believers in Christ, and when we follow, we're being attacked. And, and we're facing a lot of different challenges when that happens. If you think about it, it he's also in the beginning in this preparatory thing, he's telling the disciples about you know, a millstone around uh, somebody's neck and being cast in the sea. You're better off with that. Talking about forgiving somebody seven times in one day if they repent. Who's willing to do that? I mean, if, if you had a friend and, and, I don't know, he took something that belonged to you. And he said, oh, I'm sorry. You say, okay, forgive him. Then he steals something again. I'm sorry. Forgive him again. Seven times. Who's going to do that? I'll be the first one to admit, folks, I'm going to have a, a really tough time doing that. Can you imagine that? 
I think by the seventh time, I might be willing to smack him upside the head with something. Not that that would be okay. But, I mean, he's, he's really explaining the, the pitfalls and the troubles that are going to face. And the disciples, they know things are going to get hard, and they ask Jesus to do what? They ask him to increase their faith. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea, right? I need more faith. You're telling me I'm going to face all these trials, all these challenges, and walk with you and do this stuff? I need more faith, right? But Jesus knew it wasn't about the quantity, but the quality of their faith. In verses 7 through 10, it emphasizes the obligations that the disciples and for us to serve their master without expectation of release or reward. Once we take that step, once we ask him to come into our hearts and save us, that's the beginning and the end. To serve him for the rest of our lives. And as Christians, we're required to give over to him and obey completely. And that obedience, it doesn't matter what the trials or the consequences are. And we know they come in many ways. I've experienced it. I guarantee everybody here has probably experienced it in one way or another. The kind of faith that we see in 1 Timothy 1.15 That's 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm sorry, I said 15. It's verse 5. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Now the end of the commandments is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Charity out of a pure heart, good conscience, and faith unfeigned. And when he's saying unfeigned, we're talking about genuine or sincere faith. That's the kind of faith that he's looking for. Jesus tells the disciples about the mustard seed, right? There's that pesky little seed again that we see all the time, that tiny little seed. We all know about it. We've heard it. Uh, you know, it's, it's used about five different times in the Bible. There are several parables on it. You know, faith, you, you know, you could move a mountain, you know, in, in this one here, plucking a tree. Uh, it's going to grow bigger than anything else in the gardens. That pesky little seed, and, and it's used in a, in a lot of different ways. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And there's a lot of things that we learn about in the Bible uh, about faith not seen. I mean, you know, you've got all these people during Jesus' time. He's walking, performing all these miracles, and, and people are seeing it. And yet they still don't have the faith. I mean, I would like to say that if I was there and I see Jesus doing all of his stuff and all of Jesus, man, I might have the greatest faith in the world. But we got faith that we have today, and Jesus talks about that kind of faith. When things aren't seen, when you can't place your hands on it, when you don't see it firsthand, but do you still have faith? We see a lot of different terms about faith. And I think one of the most important one that I've heard about or we talk about sometimes people use is called living faith. Why is it living faith? Because it grows? You know, we have to ask ourselves, what kind of faith do we have? Do we have faith? What kind of faith? Is it a living faith? Is it growing? How is it growing? Are you growing it? We can do those things. 
There's two kinds of faith a lot of times you see. There's a natural faith, a faith that we're born with, that God has given us, but there's also a supernatural faith, one not of ourselves, one of, of God, of His world. We ask ourselves, you know, there's different levels of faith. Do we have a growing faith? Is it a living faith? Do we have great faith? Is it unwaving faith? Is it strong? Mike, is your faith genuine? Is it active? We have to constantly evaluate ourselves with the faith. If the disciples had that kind of faith, if we had that kind of faith, we'd have the kind of intimate, intimate relationship with God that we can see in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have peace with God through our Savior. Faith into the grace. And we can rejoice in the glory of God. Think about what that means. When I read things like that in the Bible, it just it touches me deeply. And I hope that it does the same for you. Because it's telling us how the relationship works. And what it's going to do for us. If we go back to our original scripture and we start off taking a look at it. We're going to look at this. Just verse by verse. We're going to take it verse by verse. But, so in verse 7. But which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him by and by, when, it come, when he is come from the field, go sit down and meet? If we look at that, we, you know, we have to ask ourselves, if we're servants, are we subject to God in everything that we do? If you think about it, if we're God's servant, that's an honorable position. I mean, you see a lot of people waver their positions around this world, don't they? You know, I, you know, I work for so-and-so, or I'm the chief deputy director of something, or in politics, whatever, or a position in a company. We wield our positions. But the honorable, an honorable position is being called the servant of the Lord. I mean, look at, the, look at some of the great men in the Old Testament that are referred to as servants of the Lord. you got Abraham, David, Joshua, Isaiah. They were servants of the Lord. He called them his servants. You'd be in pretty good company if you were in company with them, if you're being called or have the label of servant of the Lord. Servants or bondservants means that we are not our own. God owns everything, all of us, all that we have, even our time. He requires and deserves our total effort and has every right to expect it. I mean, he created us, right? By redemption, we're paid for. He's given us everything. You know, Jesus, he, he's using the image of plowing fields and feeding cattle there in verse 7. What do you think that could represent if we applied it in today's terms? 
or in today's world? What might that look like? How about spiritual labor? Christ calls us his servants several times and wants to know if we love him. And he points that out in John 21. John 21, chapter 21, verses 17. 21, verse 17. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. I didn't read the other verses, but Jesus is asking him, do you love me? Three times. Not just once, not twice, but three times. And three times Jesus tells him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. We have to ask ourselves, what sheep have we fed lately? For some of us, maybe, how often? If we say, oh, I feed, I feed Jesus as a sheep. How often are we doing it? Or what if we ask the question of ourselves, does, does Jesus know that we love him? He asked him three times, do you love me? What if he asked you three times, do you love me? Or if we ask ourselves the other pointed question, how does Jesus know we love him? Ouch. When I ask myself that sometimes, that can hurt. You know, it's kind of like looking in the mirror. And, and do I have an answer? Or do I have an answer today or this week? If I switch over, and, I'm like to, and I like the translation in the New King James for this. First uh, Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. Shepherds of the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So he's asking or saying, not being forced to, but are we doing it serving willingly? And are we honest when we're doing it? Are we doing it because we know that we can gain something, whatever it might be? What kind of reward are we going to gain from it? Not being masters over those that are entrusted to us. Examples on the flock. So again, in a different way, but are we examples unto the world? Or how about if we just keep it at home and are we examples as a body unto this community? You know, a master isn't required to compensate his servant even after plowing or tending all the chores. The servant has just done their duties. The servant doesn't get to sit down and rest. The master gets taken care of first, right? Food gets prepared, served, then there's cleaning. Even the servant is tired. They still have obligations. How many times have we said, oh, I'm too tired. I don't feel like doing that. Oh, I'm too tired to get up to go to church today. 
or I got other things to do. If we go to verse 8 in our original scripture, and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterwards thou shalt eat and drink. When he says gird, he's, ta- he's, ta- he's, he's saying to prepare yourself. You know, from a master's point of view, everything a servant accomplishes is nothing more than our duty. The master's needs and wants are met first, and only after that is a servant able to take care of themselves. And you think about what we do in our daily lives with that. All of this really, what it's doing is it's representing our work on earth on behalf of the Lord. We are giving him the spiritual food and drink to see his father will accomplished. And we're told this in John 4. So I'm going to go over and take us to John 4, verses 32 through 34. John 4, verses 32 through 34. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and finish his work. So again, let me turn that back to us as servants. We have to ask ourselves, what meat, what substance have we served the Lord? What did we serve the Lord yesterday, last week, last month? We have to ask ourselves, well, what have we done for him? How many meals a day do we eat? In Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Present ourselves. Wholly acceptable unto God, which is our, our reasonable service. Our reasonable service. What is that? That can be tough. What does he expect from us? Yes, sir. He does expect. You're absolutely right. God does expect Kindness. I appreciate you sharing that, partner. I, I do. That's one of the things, and it's very important that, and, and, you, and you're on the right track. He does expect kindness. Are we good at that? I know sometimes I'm not. I put myself in check. Sometimes that old jarhead prior to getting saved can come out. It's tough sometimes, but he does. And what were, what were we talking about earlier when he talks about kindness he said, you know, if somebody's done you wrong seven times in one day, you still got to be kind to him. <laughs> I still got to be kind. He stole something from me, and I got to be kind to him. What? Come on, Lord. That's right. We are all the same. 
In his eyes, we are. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm better than so-and-so. It can be tough sometimes. If we look at that, all that we've done over our lives, everything that we've done for the Lord, it's really nothing matter than a debt. We're servicing a debt. In verse 9, does he ask, does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I throw not, or I think not. As servants, do we expect or do we want praise or compensation? Think about that. I mean, the world teaches us these things, doesn't it? (laughs) No matter where, you see it in school, you see it in work, sports, just about everywhere. Who doesn't like praise or recognition? Good job, Liz. Good job, Nancy. You guys were great today up here. Who doesn't like that? I'm, I know I do. You know, if, if every one of us went to our home, I, I guarantee and I would be willing to bet that we, you know, we love our plaques, our trophies, our medals, our certificates, right? I guarantee if everybody went home, they've got one somewhere. Some form of that, that they whip out and show hey, check out my trophy or check out my certificate or this or that. We've all got one in some form or another. How about some compensation, a reward or a bonus? Who doesn't like that, right? (laughs) Bonus or reward, I'd like a little bit more of my paycheck, right? At the end of the year, sometimes you got a job. Some people might have jobs here that they get their Christmas bonus. Why do we get a Christmas bonus? You deserve it. You just did your job. But I should reward you or give you extra because you did what was expected. But guess what happens if you didn't get your Christmas bonus? Oh, you're, you're in the back room talking about the boss. That's so-and-so. He, he cheated us. And we fall into those traps. We expect them when we want them. I know I have. You know, a servant is always the debtor, the one who owes service, and a master is never the debtor of a reward. As a servant, you don't get to claim that I've done enough, but we can be satisfied when we've accomplished our duties. I mean, it feels good when you've done your duty, doesn't it? You know, if you've got a job and you provided an honest day's labor, it feels good at the end of the day or when you've done something. It feels good when you've done something for the Lord. The reward can be the blessings that come from that. And that feeling, I'm here to tell you, I know a lot of people here have experienced it, but if you haven't experienced it, you need to start doing things for the Lord because that feeling is better than any other feeling that you will ever get in your life. I guarantee it. I'm here to tell you. The interesting part about this relationship with God, the Father, the King, the Master of the universe, He does promise rewards. We don't or we shouldn't work because of those rewards. We should do it because we love them, out of joy. But there is also the part because we are His to command at His will. 
We do receive some serious compensation, though, if you think about it. Most people probably know what I'm talking about, and it's the gift of salvation. Boy, that's one heck of a reward. That's better than any bonus, any certificate, any plaque, isn't it? We're talking about eternity, folks. The gift of salvation. In His glory, God does allow us to seek praise and reward for the faithful, but there's one small caveat, right? One little tiny catch. And we're good for those kind of things, aren't we? We fall for that trap every time. You have to have the right heart and the right attitude. Man, there's that caveat. There's that catch. And, and, and we fall victim to it so many times. I have. I'll tell you right now. And it, we have to be in mindful of things. This is how the devil creeps in and changes and causes problems with our heart and gets between us and the Lord. I mean, remember, look what happened to Jonah. He gets eaten by a whale, right? Or how about Moses? We talk about the wrong heart. Here's Moses. God, great man, leads everybody out of Egypt, out of slavery, everything, cross the desert, gets them to the promised land. They're getting ready to go in the promised land. What's Moses do? Wrong heart, wrong attitude, didn't he? God tells him to speak to the rock. What's Moses do? He's madder than heck. These people, the fences that they've been doing, and he smites the rock. He's been working for the Lord for years and years, gets everybody there, and he smites the rock. Water still comes. But guess what? Okay, everybody gets to go in the promised land. Oh, Moses, you're not going. Pulls carpet out from underneath his feet, right? Wrong heart, wrong attitude. That quick, that simple. And if it could happen to Moses... Could it happen to you? What happened to me? <laughs> Colossians. Chapter 3, 23 through 24. Chapter 3, 23 through 24. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not unto men. Knowing that the Lord, she shall receive the reward of inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not of men. For him, not of this world. You're going to receive the inheritance, for ye are serving the Lord Christ. Are we his servant? If we look at the last verse, we go back to verse 10, our final verse that we in this parable. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all of those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which is our duty. We're unprofitable. So wait a minute. After all the service that I've done for the Lord, whatever it might be, I'm unprofitable. Well, how is that? I mean, if you start back in verse 7, we're talking about that lowly position of a servant or a slave. The, the Greek word is doulos or doulos. I don't, Mike, help me out, my scholar. 
Okay. Its meaning is bondservant, one who is subservient to, entirely at the disposal of his master, a slave. Now, in Roman times, this could also be used to refer to somebody that was voluntarily serving others. And that really is us, right? It should be. We, we've got the choice, don't we? I mean, let's look at Revelations. Oh, man, what's a sermon without some Revelations, right? Bring the heat. Bring the heat. Revelations 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Have you heard the knock, folks? I mean, is it that? Maybe it's that. You know, I told you before, I'm that old jarhead, tough, A-type personality. Tell God, God, send me an email, send me a text message. Just tell me what to do so I don't mess it up. But he, he doesn't do that, does he? He knocks on each of our hearts in different ways. But we have to be prepared. We have to be looking for it. We have to read. We have to study. We have to have a church family, Christian friends, to help us hear that knock. I mean, there's people that have heard God's voice. There's people that have professed. They've heard it. I haven't been that lucky. I wish I would. Because otherwise, I'm going to mess something up. I know it. And it's tough. It's taken me a lot of years, and I'm still working on it. It's not easy. If you're a new Christian or an old Christian, sometimes it can be hard. I mean, I'm going to pick on Chris. He heard the knock. He didn't know it. I called him and said, Chris, I need some help. Sheet rocking. Best sheet rocker in North Carolina, maybe on the East Coast. I'll, I'll say he is. I've seen he can do some magic. I need help with sheet rock. I'm building a house. He turned out of the blue. Wasn't expecting. He said, okay. And he's thinking, well, he's coming to do some sheet rock. Little did he know he wasn't coming to sheet rock. Heck, he's hurt his arm twice trying to sheet rock. Got better twice. The Lord answers prayers. Ask that man right there. But that was Jesus. That was God knocking. Chris, I want you back in my house. So how has God knocked on your door? Have you heard it? Have you heard it lately? He doesn't just do it one time. He wants us. He wants you as a servant. But I'm going to get ahead of myself, or let's go back and really, we're talking about, you know, a bond servant. You know, it usually referred to somebody that's in permanent servitude. And under Roman law, you were the property of the owner. You had no rights. Heck, if he wanted to, at his whim, you could be killed. You were you, you, your property, just like, throw, you know, throwing something in the trash. In the, in the Hebrew, the word for bondservant is ebed, which really has a similar meaning or connotation. But the thing interesting is under Mosaic law, under, you know, Moses' time, you could become a bondservant voluntarily. And we're told about that actually in the Old, Test the Old Testament if we go back to and look in Exodus chapter 21, verses 5 and 6. 
And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. I'm going to stop right there for just a second because a lot of times when we're reading God's word, you've got to read what happened beforehand. I think we mess that up sometimes. I know I have. But it explains right there in verse 2 that, you know, a Hebrew servant, you know, if you bought a Hebrew servant, they would serve for six years. And on the seventh year, you know, they could go free. So imagine serving, you know, you got bought for seven for six years, you're working the labor, and then you liked your master so much, or you were used to getting a good meal, at least you knew where your next meal was coming from. You say, I love my master, I want to stay. I want to be, I want to serve him. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to a door or to a doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl and he shall serve him forever. <laughs> if you look at the comparison between this and Jesus, an awl is a small, long, sharp tool for making holes in wood or leather. And the hole in somebody's ear, it was a sign or a symbol of being a servant. You'd walk around and you could see if somebody had a big old hole in their ear. Who else had holes? The voluntary act of surrendering to full, long life servitude. Jesus took on that act, didn't he? He allowed his earthly flesh to be peered in the ultimate form of serving us. To cover our sins with his blood. And now he's serving mankind for all of eternity. He had many... Many holes to show his disciples. I mean, you think about it. I mean, they, you know, sharp awe, at least it was, you know. But Jesus, he, he took spikes. He laid on that cross and allowed himself uh, spikes. And I guarantee they weren't laser sharp or sharp as an awe to pierce. He had many holes to show. As a matter of fact, he goes back and shows his disciples, doesn't he? And my old namesake, you know, Doubting Thomas, right? All the other disciples are there, and Jesus shows them his holes. And they tell, they, all the disciples tell Thomas about it, and he's like, I ain't going to believe you until I put my finger in the hole. He wants to put his hole in the servant, and he's not going to believe. He doesn't have that faith. You know, the thing is, is, our service to God is always going to fall short of the suffering and sacrifice Jesus made, no matter what. You got kings, rulers, dictators, they can gain from the service of their subject, can't they? I mean, from their slaves, from their subjects, their people. They're going to gain, they can gain land, they can gain power, they can gain money, right? The master of the universe, the creator of everything, our God, he already has dominion over everything, doesn't he? Our service does not make him richer. Doesn't make him more powerful. He earns or gains nothing. But in contrast, or likewise with that, we can't earn credit or profit from serving him. So he gets nothing and we get nothing. Or do we? But this is why we are unprofitable servants. But there's one important thing I want you to remember that we need to remember. Just because we're unprofitable servants, we can't gain in that manner, it doesn't mean that our service does not have merit or value. That's the thing you need to remember. Our service to the Lord 
He does value it. It does have merit. Keeping this, mind is, keeping this in mind is important for just so many reasons. Thinking about it otherwise allow, allows the wrong kind of heart to creep in. The thing important to God is service with the right kind of heart. We've seen that in Scripture. Be humble and not prideful, right? Our service should be motivated by love and joy for what Jesus has done for us and not by a sense of obligation or a means to gain access to heaven. Well, I'm going to do good. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do what Dad says because I have to. Or are you going to do it because you love him? Or not that I'm, I just want to make sure I don't go to hell, so I'm going to do what I'm supposed to. The joy of service is having him in our lives, folks. God doesn't want slave for his kingdom. He wants, he's told us, I want to sup with you. We need to search our hearts as a church, as a body, and ask ourselves, have we increased our master's house? Have we increased it? Have we plowed enough fields? Have we fed all of his sheep? Have we set his table full? Or are we just sitting, waiting to be served ourselves? Are we the bondservant of Christ? While we are unprofitable servants, I guarantee we don't want to be called one. Do me a favor, read Matthew 25, 30. If I can get our uh, praise team to come up, please. We're going to have a, a second. They're going to play for us. And I'm going to offer a choice or a chance to join me here at the altar. I'm not going to ask anybody if they want to come and get saved. Uh, if you're not saved, I want you to, if you don't know Jesus, I want you to think about it. I want you to come see uh, one of our leaders, they can sit down and talk to you, but I'm not going to invite anybody. I don't think that that's my position to do so. But I am going to sit up here and I'm going to pray to ask God to forgive me and help me and strengthen me. And if I've said anything today or you've heard this message and you feel that you need to talk to God about something, the altar is open to join me.